0: Welcome to Flip the Script, your go-to podcast about health disparities. My name is Max. My guest today is Dr. Greg Goncalves. He's an assistant professor of epidemiology and microbial diseases at the Yale School of Public Health. I'll let him tell us a little bit more about himself.
1: Hi there. You know, I'm a recent transplant in New Haven. I've been here about 10 years, but for um, 25 years I've worked on HIV and global health. I dropped out of college in my 20s and joined a group called ACT UP, which is a direct action group um, of people affected by the disease and living with the disease to fight government indifference and neglect and corporate greed. And for 25 years, worked with ACT UP and then with a group that I co-founded with friends called the Treatment Action Group in New York, um, which was recently featured in a documentary called How to Survive a Plague. went to work for another group in New York called Gay Men's Health Crisis and then found myself living in South Africa uh, working with Treatment Action Campaign, the Aids and Rights Alliance of Southern Africa, and other groups in the years leading up to my enrollment to get my B.A., my B.S. at Yale in 2008. So... I consider myself more of an activist and an academic, although now I sit on the faculty of the School of Public Health.
0: Right. So, Dr. Goncalves, as you mentioned, your sort of juncture of activism and academics have been pretty interesting. Um, you recently were awarded the MacArthur Genius Grant in, in part for your activism and your academic work. So how do you sort of make those two work in concert together? Well,
1: I came back to school first to get a BS and and then a PhD um, because I wanted more tools to carry on the struggle and the fight uh, to ensure that people who need access to health services, not just for HIV, but for tuberculosis, for hepatitis C, um, uh, get it. And, you know, social mobilization is critical and a necessary part of proving the health of people around the world, both in the US and abroad. But there are technical pieces of it. There's science, ways in which science can play a role in expediting access to treatment and prevention services for HIV and for other diseases. And some of my research here at the Yale School of Public Health is thinking about how we better target services to people who need them. Right now, I'm thinking a lot about the, the opioid epidemic in the US and the fact that we have a raging epidemic of opioid use and overdose, but it's quickly being um, followed by outbreaks of diseases like hepatitis C, and as we've seen in Scott County, Indiana, in 2015 of HIV as well, and since Scott County, about a half a dozen other outbreaks of HIV among people who use drugs across the U.S. Right, so
0: kind of thinking about the many social issues that you've always been sort of fighting to address, but also now with your newly acquired tools as an epidemiologist, marrying those two in order to, uh, I guess, get more access for people that are impacted by these social issues. So what are you finding out in your current work as an epidemiologist, especially on your domestic
1: work? Well, I mean, some of the work we've done has been theoretical and just looked at computer simulations for improving yields of HIV testing programs. Um, But one of the sort of pieces which sort of shows the intersection of the political and the scientific is a piece of work I did with a colleague here in biostatistics named Forrest Crawford, who was on my PhD dissertation committee, was to look at the outbreak of HIV in Scott County, Indiana, uh, in 2015. And what we did is we we created the epidemic in silico in a computer simulation and looked to see what would have happened if they had done, if they had reacted sooner to, to the crisis. What happened in Indiana is that in 2011 HIV started bubbling up in Scott County, unbeknownst to anybody. And even way before this, in 2008, the state knew that it had an opioid crisis. By 2010 and 2011, as HAV started to rumble in Scott County, HCV outbreaks were, were happening uh, in several counties throughout the state. In 2013, Governor Pence, uh, right. Vice President Pence, and the state legislature defunded Planned Parenthood in the in the state, which closed all the testing centers in places near Austin, Indiana, and Scott County, meaning that the epidemic, which was starting to ramp up and explode in the summer of 2014, went unnoticed by many people, although they were warned by public health officials, by even a Republican senator in the state Senate uh, named Ed Clare that they needed to think of needle exchange and other harm reduction tools to counter the risk of infectious disease outbreaks in the state. So the paper we did um, was a mathematical model, but basically it made a policy point that the state of Indiana waited too late to stem an outbreak, which cost 215 people to, to become HIV infected, with personal costs associated with having to be on lifelong treatment and also the cost of the state for paying for that.
0: Mm-hmm. And interestingly, so Governor Pence then has moved on to become vice president, um, and that the current federal administration has taken some somewhat controversial positions when it comes to um, the fight against AIDS-slash-HIV. Do you have
1: any thoughts on that? Well, it's a tale of two Trumps, basically. So President Trump announced in the State of the Union that he wanted to end AIDS in the United States. Um, by 2030, I can't remember, I think maybe 2030 all a wonderful idea, fantastic idea, everybody can get behind it. But then you start thinking about what he does uh, in terms of uh, his real policies on the ground. Um, One of the most important sites for HIV, uh, the HIV epidemic in the US is the American South, uh, particularly among uh, young gay men of color, um, uh, rural populations, um, African American women. Um, But these are all the states where Medicaid is not expanding under Republican administrations, where people like CMS administrators sema Verma is trying to push for work requirements, um, which make it harder for people who need access to health services to gain them through Medicaid. Medicaid is the largest provider of services to people who uh, are living with HIV. If we're going to use treatment to to stem uh, infectiousness, um, because to rural drugs, suppress viral levels to undetectable, um, you need access to care. And so Medicaid expansion is vital. Uh, A strong Affordable Care Act is vital. But the the White House, while it says it wants to end AIDS on one hand, on the other hand, basically is trying to destroy uh, the the Affordable Care Act, even in the president's most recent pronouncements that he supports the total repeal of the act. Um, Leave it to say that HIV in the United States... uh, faces, um, affects mostly marginalized communities. Men who have sex with men, gay men, um, transgender communities, communities of color. His policies towards transgender troops or uh, Vice President Mike Pence, his own personal feelings on um, on LGBT rights um, all f- fly in the face of sort of engaging populations who need uh, to be reached out to with utmost urgency to combat the epidemic. So the administration talks a good game, but the game on the field is a is a pretty much a disaster.
0: So recently, in, it, it was in the news that there the second man who was like completely cured of HIV, which kind of created a big buzz and made people all excited. Um, do you think it's just a distraction?
1: So I have HIV myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I got involved in ACT UP. Uh, and did all the work I did over the past two decades. Um, I would love to see a cure for HIV. I take pills every morning to m- ensure that the virus that's circulating my body is at the lowest levels possible. Um, but, you know, this was a, a, a very special e- experiment. Uh, the doctors who treated this HIV-positive man were also treating a cancer, which required a uh, um, bone marrow transplant, stem mm-hmm. cell transplant. And so they're able to genetically engineer his T-cells so that when they put them back into his body, um, they would be resistant to the disease. It is not coming to a theater near you anytime soon. Um, it's a very expensive, high-tech uh, version that's only going to work in the context where you, you need to give somebody a, a bone marrow transplant and a stem cell transplant at the same time. Um, that being said, we just detailed all the sort of ways in which the U.S. is failing to to live up to the promise of the AIDS drugs we do have now. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in the American South, among communities of color, among men who have sex with men. And so the scientific community has been working hard to sort of figure out how we maximize the benefits of the drugs we've had for 20 years. Um, While well the news media was going off on the sort of latest shiny thing, which was a distraction for the public, um, but a distraction, um, once again, sort of, Um, prioritizing high-tech solutions to what is a really public health and primary care issue.
0: Right. Thank you for that explanation. Most recently in the media, one of the big pharmaceutical companies, Gilead, has been kind of uh, facing some criticism about their handling of HIV medication from two aspects. The first thing was something about drug price fixing, and the other one was about um, their... Quote unquote benevolent, benevolent effort to like give HIV drugs for free. Do you mind saying more about that? So, Gilead
1: Sciences is, is a, a, a newish pharmaceutical company compared to the big ones like GlaxoSmithKline and others. Um, and it now sort of controls about 84% of the HIV antiretroviral market. Um, so, they're a big player, um, one might say monopolist in the context of HIV treatment. Now there are two current controversies. The first is that pre-exposure prophylaxis, um, uh, that is taking a pill to prevent HIV infection uh, if you're HIV negative, um, is now just been approved uh, and given a recommendation by the US Preventive Services Task Force. Um, It's a highly effective way to prevent HIV transmission from somebody who's positive to somebody who's negative. QEG is the maker and uh, the patent holder for the drug, Guvada, Which is the main drug used for PrEP? Um, What has emerged over the past couple of months um, with research done by a group called PrEP for All is that the Centers for Disease Control holds the patents for HIV PrEP. Mm. So they don't hold the patent on the drug, but they hold the patent on the use of the drug um, for PrEP, right? And the second part of the story is that the drug is fairly expensive. Um, And, you know, while People who have insurance may be able to deal with it. There's the issues of co-pays. If if you're you're partially insured or you you can't get get access to their their rebate program at the the pharmaceutical company, you have to pay out of pocket, which can be considerable cost for individuals. Additionally, um, the cost of the drug is a burden on states and municipalities who'd like to expand access to all who need it. Um, We have, you know, tens of thousands of new infections with HIV every year in the United States, and PrEP could be an important part of combating that. Um, So the CDC holds the patent on the use of of drugs for PrEP. Um, Iliad has an overpriced drug um, that they are selling for PrEP, and what prep All has said is that Iliad needs to cut the price. Mm. And if they don't cut the price, CDC has to exercise the patent and say, look, you will pay... This drug is... Um, being used on a patent to us, U.S. royalties. Um, You are infringing our patent by selling it for CREP without um, uh, paying back the U.S. government. So so there's a battle now between activists, the CDC, and Gilead about who owns the rights to CREP for pre-exploited personal access, and when are we going to deal with addressing the price of the drug, which is a burden on individuals and on on public and private payers. The whole issue heated up. Uh, in front of the Congress and the House Oversight Committee with uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortet. Uh, yeah, ALC. AOC. AOC. Um, and uh, Chairman Elijah Cummings putting the uh, CEO of the company on the hotspot um, about these issues. Again, in complete denial, uh, saying that, you know, Gilead developed Krivada, developed Truvada for PrEP, and that the idea that they are in any way doing anything wrong is is is, is not true. Um, this is a this is this is the talk of a monopolist who owns most of the market can basically force you to pay what they want for the drug that they manufacture. And We'll see how that plays out. The other piece of um, uh, interesting news that's come out is that a bunch of us, including myself and a couple of other AIDS activists um, and some unions, have sued. Iliad and other pharmaceutical companies were, were basically colluding together to um, uh, protect their intellectual property patent rights on drugs by saying, if you and I have an agreement to make a drug in combination and you're one company, and I'm another company. Even after my drug goes off patent, you will still use my uh, my drug rather than the generic to make your, your, your co-formulation. Mm. And in this way, all these drug companies are colluding to keep um, their own sort of portion of the market intact and protected against other competitors who might want to form, co-formulate a drug that you or me. Um, and so some of the best uh, antitrust attorneys in the country, Mark Lemley at Stanford um, uh, and others are representing us in a, in, a, in a, hopefully what will be a class action lawsuit against the companies. for are basically colluding to keep uh, monopoly control over over the HIV market, even as drugs move into generic, mm. into generics, um, so th- and this is predatory monopolistic behavior on the part of of Eliad, and um, everybody's known this for a long time.
0: And we know that obviously HIV kind of disproportionately affects um, like communities of color, low income uh, individuals, and I'm just thinking about the. Like the overburden of cost of HIV
1: medication on those who are already... The uh, fastest growing rates of HIV infection in the U.S. are among African-American men who have sex with men, particularly in the South, and not in the South. Um, work by Ron Stahl and others has, has um, postulated that a, a gay man at the age of 25, by the time is, he's 40, 50% or more of his cohort will be... ATP positive so we're talking about a catastrophe among uh, african-american men of sex with men uh, so the the discussions we're having about prep are not um abstract theoretical questions about monopoly pricing and antitrust throughout people's lives
0: right uh, so this is kind of a not only the theoretical element of like okay, let's talk about pharmaceutical and health economics, whether civil rights and sort of LGBTQ rights issue.
1: This is this isn't the, the burden of the epidemic in the United States falls on African American communities, communities of color and particularly communities of color uh, uh, men who sex men from the African American community. They're often living in states that have an expended Medicaid um, that have poor public health infrastructure and are dealing with the fact that you have a drug company Gilead, that's cornered the market and is artificially keeping prices high both for prep and over time on combination antiretroviral therapy for treatment. Mm. And so,
0: what about the quote-unquote generous uh, initiative that these companies engage in, where they like give drugs for free? Um, how, how does that impact the like the, the otherwise? Ways in which the
1: government would would handle um, drug pricing. Well, of course, the news breaks that CDC owns the patent on PrEP, and that activists are calling for price to the price to come down. AOC is holding congressional hearings with oh, Representative Cummings is holding it, and AOC and Ayanna Presley and and uh, she Talib are on on the march and talking about the need to cut the price of the drugs. And all of a sudden, Gilead beneficently comes out with the, the promise to donate, what, 200,000 dose, doses of 200,000 patients for PrEP? It's a drop in the bucket. And we've seen this before in the context of the international AIDS epidemic. Whenever there's a question about the need to, to, to decrease prices by um, expediting generic production, you always see farmers come saying, we can deal with it either in two ways. One is charity. Um, and the other one is saying, well, we'll give, we'll give you a concessionary price um, We'll cut the price for you. We'll give you. We'll give you a little bit of a discount uh, if if you won't sort of target our drugs for generic production in the global south. Here they're doing the same thing. They want to head off any questions about their patent rights and about their pricing by saying, "Look, look how generous we are. We are, we are, we are a company with a heart, and we're you know we're giving tens and hundreds of thousands of doses of the drug uh, across the U.S. But it's a drop in the bucket when we compare it, compare it to the need." of people who are at risk of HIV the United States. Right,
0: so... It's
1: a big PR, it's a big PR move.
0: Yeah, it's, it's not quite generosity.
1: It's not generosity. And the other thing is a lot of age organizations, and I used to work for a big one in New York City called Game' Health Crisis, um, which has actually been brave on this issue, but many are taking drug company money. Um, and so it's been very hard to, to rally um, folks uh, around the pricing of these drugs because it often means many small AIDS organizations have to fight the hand that feeds them. So the company has sort of um, worked a very sort of robust PR ER and community relations strategy to try to insulate themselves from any sort of um, criticisms of their pricing or their patent, uh, their patent infringement. Gotcha. And on a
0: global scale, so I know you've also been doing some work with organizations like in South Africa. Um, what does your work look like there? Well,
1: so I lived in South Africa from 2006 to 2008, but since 2000, I've been working very closely with groups around the world to sort of think about how we sort of translate AIDS activism from countries like the U.S. and South Africa, Brazil, and Thailand, which had early AIDS activist movements to a global movement. And I still work closely with groups around the world in sort of the – Activist response to the disease. i um, um, on the board of a group called the International Treatment Preparedness Coalition, which goal is to, to sort of promote social mobilization and treatment education, not just on HIV but on TB and hepatitis C. To challenge the drug companies on intellectual property and patent protections on drugs which make pennies to make um, and of which high prices, uh, are a big cause of, of, lack of access. Um, and, you know, done a little bit of, of work while I've been here at the Yale School of Public Health, uh, on topics that, uh, are related to, to that. We, we did a paper early on during my PhD, which was thinking about sanitation and sexual violence in a, a township called outside of Cape Town, um, where women were saying, um, they feared for their lives and also for for their safety in going to use toilets at night, which were public. These, this is this is a community that's living in tin shacks, often uh, 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 other informal structures, and to relieve themselves, they they have to go out in the middle of the night, walk, you know, quite a distance to find a place to, to relieve themselves, and. Um, They said they were risking rape to reach a toilet. And we, the city of Cape Town, which um, should be caring for the health and sanitation uh, and the safety of people in Kailicha, hasn't made an investment in sanitation in the township. Um, And what we were able to do is to say, look... um, uh, we built a mathematical model that said look there's a cost to, to sanitation installing toilets but there's also a cost of sexual violence um, can we associate the number of toilets in the township with rates of sexual violence and can we sort of assign a cost to those as well and what we did is said that you know you could double the number triple the number of toilets in in, in, in Kailisha, um reduce sexual violence and also reduce the cost of society because the cost of toilets is is negligible. But the long-term cost of sexual violence, from criminal justice to personal, uh, to, 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 to to medical needs, to sort of psychological trauma, uh, is incalculable. And um, we could put a price tag on it based on some of the criminology literature. But um, it was, again, trying to use science to sort of uh, describe sort of our policy choices that confront people who make decisions that affect all our lives. Uh, and that's what's, you know, decision science and policy modeling and, and these other sort of um, Um, techniques can do, they can outline, they can sort of put your options on the table in a way that's uh, explicit to see and and show you the choices you have to make. And that's um, what we did with this paper on sanitation and sexual violence.
0: Question here. So you've taken a very personal experience and basically it has helped you and driven a lot of the work that you do, um, both in your activism, but also sort of in your academic professional career um so what do you say to the sort of lines of like the you know the personal can always be political or or the personal must be political where where do you s- see yourself or your vision
1: on that we live in the world you know yale may be an ivory tower um, but we live in a community called new haven uh in a state connecticut with gross health disparities uh gross income disparities um it's one of the most unequal states in the country. Um, and so if we consider, um, the professional work we do, um, as scientists at Yale or medical professionals at Yale, divorced from the world around us, we're only doing half of our jobs. Um, you know, the personal is political to me because I watched, uh, uh, a government under Ronald Reagan and George Bush ignored the AIDS crisis and let it explode in the in the 80s and 90s um, you know it's personal because I found out it was HIV positive in 1996 but it's also personal because uh, I do feel like I'm my brothers and sisters keepers what happens to to people around me um, whether they're close relatives or friends you know doesn't it doesn't matter the people of New Haven suffer greater rates of asthma, diabetes, heart disease, uh, depending on the neighborhood you live in in the city. Uh, And so, um, to me, public health uh, and medicine are are not just about pills into bodies or, you know, large-scale public health campaigns. They're about intervening in politics, um, which often decides um, whether we live or die in the U.S. and around the world.
0: right. Um, and that has given you the ability to make very effective points at the sort of policy level, like you described with the um, epidemic in Indiana. And um, so, I'm wondering what advice you have for, be it public health students or medical students, or just generally um, health professional who have an interest in basically turning their work into effective policy making.
1: So, remember, all of us in ACT UP, or most of us in ACT UP in the 80s and 90s, were about your age, the age of medical students and public health students were out of college, or, like me, dropped out of college, but we were in our 20s, and many of us didn't have technical degrees. Some of us had—you know, were artists, some of us were dropouts, some of us were filmmakers, some of us were poets, You know, some of us ad, worked for ad agencies, but we... Change the world. We didn't know any better that you needed to have an advanced degree to make a difference, and in fact, the urgency of the crisis meant that that we needed all hands on deck. And you know, there's a health crisis in the United States. You know, millions are still uninsured. The health disparities uh, are, are across race and gender are quite severe. In Georgia, in the state of Georgia, for instance, they have some of the highest maternal mortality in the world. Um, at least among industrialized nations, um, which means there's a health crisis and it needs all hands on deck. And it does. It means that young people, public health students, medical students, nursing students, PA students, anybody who cares about health needs to be on the streets, broadly speaking. Um, whether it's acting up and going to demonstrations or simply writing to your member of Congress uh, or writing op-eds, y- you need to engage. It's not... You know, you can be in the clinic or you can be in the lab, and that's important work. Um, But um, if you feel like what's going on around you nowadays is something you been concerned about, um, it's never going to be the technical solution alone that's going to save us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to engage socially and and politically if we're going to see an end to sort of uh, uh, the health disparities that plague the United States. Right.
0: Um, And within the context of. Infectious diseases, TB, HIV. Where do you see the sort of next frontiers um, for improvement in this in this country, and especially in areas like the the South, like Georgia, where like Atlanta is an epicenter for. So,
1: you know, it's back to the the cured patient. Like, there's all this sort of front page news about uh, an AIDS cure, but there's not a front page story uh, every day about the number of. Fifty thousand new infections we have in the U.S. every year, or the number of people who are not uh, on health insurance and can't get access to anti- antiretroviral or drugs. TB and HIV are one is curable, one is 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 chronically treatable. We don't need anything. It would be great to have a cure and new tools, for, right. but we can do a lot with what we have. And what we're seeing, uh, what we're seeing in the in the South in terms of the explosion of the AIDS epidemic, it's a failure of public policy, not of medicine or public health. It's Politicians who have made a decision on purpose to deprive their citizens of the health care they need, uh, and, and the investments and making the investment in public health that will prevent uh, outbreaks like the one we saw in Scott County. So the solution for HIV and TB, um, we don't necessarily need new. We could use new drugs, but we don't need them. We could do a lot with what we have today, uh, and it's a, it's a failure of politics, not of science. Um, and so the, the the next steps for sort of addressing disparities in health in terms of HIV and TB and hepatitis C, which is another disease which um, has wide disparities across the U.S. Um, The the problems it faces are largely political rather than scientific.
0: Thank you so much for imparting so much knowledge on the topic. Anytime, anytime. Thanks everyone for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of Foot the Script.